Well, how many of you, when you uh, buy a product, how many of you guys read the warning labels on the products? It's probably a good thing sometimes, right? Sometimes I don't, but, you know, sometimes I'm convinced that we're actually missing out on a good laugh. And here's, here's some examples of actual warning labels that come on products. This one's probably my favorite. Now those, the last one I don't have to worry too much about. It's been a while since I've had to use a hair dryer. Um, but those are kind of funny, right? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a warning that is far more serious than that. One that's far more important than that. And, um, and this is going to be the, the warning that comes from our study in the book of Hebrews. And you'll remember a couple of weeks ago we saw the first of these warnings. We said there's five of these warning passages that come in the book of Hebrews. And, and there's a lot of different ways to approach these. And a lot of people have different ideas about the right way to do that. But I'm going to kind of stick with the approach that I took last time. For me, it's really the right approach. I think it's the one that the author intended from everything that I can understand. And, and as I look at these warning passages, I get more and more convinced that the way that, that we need to approach these are pastorally. And let me, let me explain what I mean by that. You know, every week when we gather together, there are people at all different places in their walk with Jesus, right? There are some people who join us who have probably maybe come to hear about Jesus for the first time. There are some people who have heard about Jesus and might even intellectually understand the gospel, but they've never actually committed their lives to Jesus and, and put their faith fully in Him. There are some people who have done that, but frankly who are struggling in their lives right now. Maybe they're going through some trial, or maybe there's, there's some sin in their life that they're really struggling with right now. And then there are some of you who... who thank heavens for that, that, that are going through things that are pretty good right now. Your life's pretty good, and things are going pretty well for you. And, and so every week when I come in and preach, my, my goal is to make sure that I can share something from God's Word that would speak to all those different groups, even though we're at all different places in our walk with Jesus. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to do here as he wrote this letter to, the, to whatever church he's writing to, whoever the author might be. I think he realizes that he's speaking here to an audience who we know, as we've talked about, are primarily Jewish Christians who have this tendency to want to go back to their old Jewish faith. But, but as he does that, he knows there's a lot of other people in that congregation as well. There's some people who are, might think they're Christians, but they're really not. There's some people who are struggling with sin and, and different things. And so he writes this in, in really kind of a, of a pastoral way. And so that's what we're going to do as we look at this passage today. We're going to kind of take it in, in that way. And I really believe, probably as much as, as any sermon that I've shared in a long time, that this has something for all of us, regardless of what group that we might fall into this morning and where we are in our walk with Jesus. 
So with that in mind, go ahead and take your, your, your Bibles, turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 3. We're going to look at, uh, pick up where we left off last week. We're going to pick up in verse 7 this morning. And you can go ahead and follow along as I, as I read. We're going to go through the end of the chapter. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Before we kind of get to the, to the main idea that I, wanna, I want us to kind of look at together this morning, I want to point out something here that's really important. It's, a, it's an important idea and principle that, that I don't want us to skip by. You'll notice how he begins this passage. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. And that verb says, it's a present tense verb, so the idea is that the Holy Spirit, he was speaking then, he continues to speak to us now. But here's the question I want to ask. How does the Holy Spirit speak according to this passage? Anyone have an idea? What does he do next? He quotes from Scripture. He quotes from Psalm 95. And as we've talked about before, as we talked about in our last sermon series, the way that the Holy Spirit primarily speaks to us is through the Bible. Even though these words were written down by human beings, every single word that we find in the Scriptures was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through His Word. And this morning, that's exactly what He's doing. He's speaking to us through His Word. So, so now that we have that in mind, here's the main idea that we're going to pursue today and, and kind of deal with. And that is this, that unbelief will always keep me from entering God's rest. That unbelief will always keep me from entering God's rest. i got to tell you, this is, this is one of the most fascinating passages of Scripture to me. Because here's, here's go, go with me for a moment and think about this. The writer of Hebrews, he's writing this somewhere about 2,000 years ago, give or take. And today it's just as applicable to us as the day he wrote it to that church back then. And in this in this, what he's writing here, he's quoting from Psalm 95. And guess when David wrote Psalm 95? About a thousand years before the writer of Hebrews writes this letter down. And so he's using Scripture from a thousand years before that to teach the people in his day. It still applies to us today. But that's not where it ends. 
in Psalm 95, David is going all the way back about another 450 years before that, back to the time when Israel came out of Egypt, when Moses led them out of Egypt. And so he's using that example to teach people in his day, and that's we're learning from that today. So we're learning today from something that happened about 3,500 years ago. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? I mean, that's what, that's what the Bible does. I'm, I'm excited about that. And so unlike a, a well-known pastor who a couple of years ago said that we ought to unhitch from the Old Testament, we shouldn't unhitch from it. We ought to embrace it, and we ought to learn from it. And that's what we're going to do this morning, is really we're going to be taken all the way back to the nation of Israel. Now, What's recorded here in Psalm, in Psalm 95, the, the writer and his audience, they would have been really familiar with those events. And, and some of us might not be quite as familiar with that, and that's okay. And I don't have time this morning to go back in detail, but I do want to give you enough of a background so that we can understand what's going on here. And what he's doing, he's taking us back to the time that Moses led the people out of Egypt, and then... They wandered around in the wilderness for a while, and finally they come to the promised land. And what it is, it's a picture of God's faithfulness. But it's also a picture of the fact that the nation of Israel was full of unbelief that caused them to disobey God. They come out of the land, and God brings them out of there, and what do they do? The first thing they do, they start to grumble. Say, man, we had some good meals back then, and we get out here, and we don't have food, and we don't have water, and so what does God do? God provides food. He provides water. And then he says, I'm going to take you into this promised land, and I'm going to give this land to you. All you have to do is go in and take it. But the people don't believe him. They say, you know what? We're going to send some spies into the land and see what it looks like. So they send 12 spies into the land. And 10 of them come back and go, man, no way are we going to be able to take this land. And so they talk the whole nation of Israel about taking the land that God wanted to give them and the rest that came along with that. And so they don't get to enter the promised land. An entire generation dies out there in the wilderness, except for the two, Caleb and Joshua, who are faithful to God, who believe God would come through with his promises. And so what this passage shows us here is, is it just reinforced what Ryan shared with us last week, this whole idea that Jesus is greater than Moses, right? Because Moses, is as faithful to God as he was, as good of a man as he was, He didn't enter the promised land either because he disobeyed God. And not only that, he didn't lead the rest of the people into the promised land. But Jesus is better because every time that we put our faith in Jesus, what does he do? He leads us to experience God's rest. So with that in mind, there's two things that I want to do this morning as we look at this passage. First, I want to share with you two truths that I think are absolutely essential to a proper understanding of this passage. And then the second thing is I want to share with you what we can learn from this passage about how we can make sure that we don't end up in a place of disbelief where we fail to enter into God's rest. So let's look first at these these two truths. Here's the first one that's really key here, and that is that the root of all sin is unbelief. That's really what he's telling us in this passage here. Here's, Here's how the how he puts it in the first part of the the passage here. Here's what he writes. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So he tells us here that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. 
that the real reason that they didn't enter, enter into the land, that they didn't enter into God's rest, is because they had unbelieving hearts. And just to make sure that we don't miss it, here's how he ends this section. And they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. And so what we find here is that, that unbelief, it's, it's really the, the root of all sin. And if you think about it, you can go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. That, that was the root of their sin, wasn't it? They didn't really believe that what God told them was the best thing for them. They didn't really believe that if they didn't eat from this one tree that looked really good, that that was God's best for them. And so they went ahead and sinned. And really since then, I would suggest to you that every sin ever committed by a person, that the real root is unbelief. It's not believing that what God says in His Word is the best thing for us. It's not believing that God loves us and that He would never lead us to a place that would be harmful to us. So if, you, if you're involved in some kind of sexual sin, I would say it's really because you don't believe that what God says about how to satisfy those desires, that it's supposed to be done within the marriage of one man to one woman for a lifetime. If you go out and buy a bunch of stuff that you don't need with money that you don't have and you rack up a bunch of debt, it's because really you don't believe God when He says that He will meet each and every one of your needs. If you choose to try to get to God through your own strength and power and works rather than trust in Jesus Christ, it's really because you believe that, that God's plan is not the best way to do it. So really, any kind of sin that we have, it all goes back to this idea that we really don't believe God. And so that's the first thing we need to understand. Here's the second thing that we need to understand, and this is really important, that rest does not equal salvation. Rest doesn't equal salvation. We're going to talk a lot more next week and we get into chapter 4 about what this rest is and the nature of this rest that he's describing here. But it's really important for us to understand right now it's not the same thing as salvation. And that, that, that's a key here. Because if we believe that rest and salvation are equal, what this passage would be telling us is that every time we disobey God, we would be in danger of losing our salvation. And as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, to me, that just doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. We haven't done anything to earn or deserve our salvation, so, so therefore I'm not convinced that we can do anything to lose it either. So let me ask you a question, one that we kind of tossed around on Monday morning in our Bible study. Were the people who wandered around in the wilderness and didn't enter the promised land, were they, quote, saved? It's an interesting question to think about, isn't it? Now, I don't want to get into some long discussion about how Old Testament people were, quote, saved and, and what that process is and everything, but here's what I can tell you, that God pardon those people you know how I can tell you that because here's what the scriptures say here's what it says in numbers chapter 14 then the Lord said I have pardoned according to your word but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land 
that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. Now notice what he says there. He says, first of all, he says, I have pardoned them. He says, but they're not going into the promised land. And I think the same thing is, is true for us. What God says is, here he pardons, but it doesn't mean that we'll, that, that we'll lose our salvation, but it does mean there's a consequence to it. He says, I pardoned them, but there's a consequence. They're not going into the promised land. They're not going to enter into my rest. And if you think about it, Moses had the exact same experience, right? Moses disobeys God. God says, you're not going into the promised land. You're not going to enter into that rest that I had for you. But as Ryan pointed out last week, when we get to chapter 11, we're going to see that, that, that he shows up in the Faith Hall of Fame. So I think it'd be pretty hard to argue that Moses lost his salvation because he disobeyed God, right? So the key thing to take away is, is that, that we don't lose our salvation. Now, there are consequences, and as we get, we'll see when we get to chapter 12, there may be discipline, but that doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. I think that's really important for us to understand. So, so now that we understand that, we can begin to see, I hope, what we said this morning, and that is that unbelief will always keep me from entering God's rest. And that's true regardless of where you are in your walk with Jesus. If, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, it'll keep you from entering His rest by having a relationship with God. If you've already done that, you made that commitment, it'll keep you from enjoying the blessings that God wants you to have as a result of obedience. So there's always something we lose out. We lose out on some part of God's rest when we don't believe. So then the question is, well, how do I make sure that I don't go to that place in my life? How do I make sure that I don't enter into that unbelief? How do I guard against it? Let me share with you just a few things from the, the passage this morning that I think will help us to do that. Here's the, here's the first thing is that I need to spend consistent time in the Bible. Surprise, right? I know you guys are all shocked that we would have that principle. I mean, we've never seen that before, right? There's a reason this keeps coming up over and over and over again because it's, it's the key to not having unbelief. It's interesting here what the, the writer of Hebrews says. He gives us some insight into the reason why these people had unbelief. Here's, here's what he writes. He says, They always go astray in their heart. He's quoting Psalm 95 now. They have not known my ways. The reason we have unbelief is we don't know the ways of God. And how do we find out the ways of God? We find it in the Scriptures. That's where we go. We understand His purposes and His plans and His ways. Matter of fact, here's what I'd suggest. When you read your Bible, one of the prayers that I like to pray before I open up the scriptures is God would you show me today who you are would you show me your purposes and your plans and your ways so I can know you better because the better we get to know God in his word the less chance we're going to have to have this kind of unbelief that would lead us from missing out on God's rest here's the second thing that we need to do we need to obey even when it doesn't make sense to me I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the Scripture. Let's face it, it doesn't make sense, right? But think, think about the people of Israel. There was a lot that didn't make sense to them, and I get it. I mean, can you believe Moses comes to him and says, I'm going to lead you out of here into the promised land. They go, dude, you've been hiding away for 40 years because you committed murder. You're going to lead us out of here? I don't believe that. And then he performs all these miracles and they get ready to, to leave and to, to head out of Egypt. 
and they get to the last plague, and God tells them, here's the way I'm going to save you. I want you to kill a lamb, and I want you to put the blood over the, the doorposts and the lintels of your door. And they're probably thinking, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, it wouldn't to me. And then they get out of there, and they finally get let out of there, and what do they do? They come up to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are coming behind them, and they're thinking, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, God. And they get out in the wilderness, and they don't have any food, and they don't have any water, and none of that made sense. And there's a lot of stuff in the Scriptures today that doesn't make sense too, right? And we have to just obey it, even though it doesn't make sense. We have to trust that God has our best interest at heart. We have to trust that when Jesus says, when someone harms you to turn the other cheek, that, that it's okay to go ahead and do that, even though my natural reaction is I want to go take revenge on someone else. And so we have to obey even when it doesn't make sense to us. Here's the third thing that, that we need to do, and that is to confess and repent quickly. Last year when they built the, the shade structure out here, I was here when they were pouring the concrete, and you know they, they set all the forms up, and they pour the concrete out. When it's first poured out, that stuff is really mushy and pliable, and they can move it all around. And those guys sat out there, and they work that concrete, and they work it, and eventually it gets nice and flatten everything and it begins to harden and it takes then a few more days for it to completely cure before it gets actually hard enough that you can start to drive on it and do other things like that and I think that's a really good picture of what happens to our hearts they don't get hard all at once right they get hard little by little by little we we disobey God in some area that seems kind of small and insignificant to us and it's, once we do that, then it's a little easier the next time and the next time and the next time. And what happens is after a period of time, our hearts get so hard. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. They didn't get heart, their hearts hardened all at once. What did it start out with? It starts out with them grumbling about food and water. And it finally gets to the place where they're not willing to be obedient to God when He promises to take them to a place of rest. And so how do we make sure we don't get our hearts hardened? We have to keep short accounts with God. We have to let His Word speak into our lives and show us the sin that's there. We need to pray and ask God, God, would you show me the sin in my life so I can confess that, so I can repent and make sure that I, I take practical steps so that doesn't become a lifestyle for me. So we need to keep those short accounts. Next thing we need to do if we want to make sure that we don't Going to unbelief, and this is the last one we'll share, is that I need to be my brother's keeper. Man, one of the, the easiest ways to, to get caught up into a hardened heart and unbelief is to isolate ourselves. And unfortunately, that's our tendency sometimes, right? When, when we know we're kind of far away from God, what do we do? We tend to kind of isolate ourselves and pull away, and we need to do exactly the opposite. Look at the command that he gives us here in Hebrews. He says, but exhort one another every day, every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So every day, he says, I want you to exhort one another. That word to exhort, it, it means to encourage, but it also means when a brother or sister begins to fall away that we come alongside them in a loving way and say hey look I love you and I don't want to see you fall away from God but here's something I see going on in your life that I think could lead to a hardened heart down the road 
And so we are to be our brother's keepers within the body of Christ. Now, we obviously have to be really careful how we do that. And I'm thankful for what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6 because he gives us really some, I think, some good insight into how we're to do that and the kind of attitude that we're to have. He writes this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. That's the idea. We want to restore the other person. But do it in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So the, the purpose isn't, that, hey, I caught you in sin, so now look at me, I'm better than you, because I didn't do that sin. No, it's to say, brother or sister, I love you so much, I don't want to see you go down this road, so let me help you to make sure that you don't, that you don't fall into that. As I mentioned when we began this morning, I think this is one of those messages that every single one of us needs to respond to in some way. It says in this passage several times, today is the day, today is the day, today is the day that you need to respond to God. So if you're here this morning, you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, what this passage is telling you is today the day you need to do that. Because if you don't believe and you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to miss out on the rest that coming that comes with being a child of God, with being, as we saw a couple weeks ago, a brother of Jesus And so if you've never done that, we encourage you, we urge you to do that today. There might be some of you here today who think you're Christians. Maybe you think you're Christians because you grew up in a Christian home, so you just assume, well, I must be a Christian too. Or maybe you're like me, like I was at one time. I thought I was a Christian because I'd prayed a prayer that somebody taught me to pray. But I I was not a believer at that time. My life didn't reflect any kind of change. And so... I don't, want to, I don't want in any way to, to get some of you who might have genuine faith in Jesus to, to question that. But, but if you've never genuinely put your faith in Jesus and you don't see any change in your life, then maybe you're just assuming you're a Christian for some other reason, because you come to church or because you give money or whatever it might be. If that describes you, then I would urge you again today, take that next step. Really put your belief and your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Now, I know most of us have already done that, but maybe today you'd come here and you're struggling with some trial. You're struggling with some sin in your life. And if that's true, then I want to encourage you to apply the principles that we talked about today because they will help you to to get beyond that unbelief, to allow you to enter in the rest that God wants you to experience as a result of obeying Him. And finally, I know there's some of you right here, and I praise God for it that right now, like I said earlier, things are going really great for you. If that's the case, praise God. But here's the warning. It's still easy for you to fall. And if you don't put into place some of the things that we talked about this morning, you could very easily fall into the trap of unbelief and miss out on the blessings that God has for you. And I don't want that to happen for any of us. And it doesn't need to happen for any of us. That's the good news. If we will put our faith and our trust in Jesus, if we will believe in him, he wants to bless us greatly. Let's pray. Father, this is a tough passage, and yet it's such an encouraging one because it it reminds us that for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we do have this unbelievable rest that only you can provide. And my prayer for each person here this morning is that they would respond in a manner that's appropriate. Father, wherever they are in their walk with Jesus, 
that they would respond in a way that would allow them to experience the, the beauty and the wonder and the awe of your rest. I ask that you would do whatever is necessary, Father, to cause that to happen. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We do encourage you to take that next step in your walk with Jesus. If there's anything that we